Thank you, brother. Joel and I and Dave were at a game last night. Some of the others were here at the game last night, and so we're. I uh, I did I, I don't scream as much as ball games as I used to, because I remember one time I screamed too much, and Joel will tell you, you know, I was I was pretty vocal at some of these games, and it's not always cheering for ORU. Sometimes it's just yelling at the refs. But uh, but I've toned down a lot, haven't I, Joel? And Joel's been sitting with me at these games for about 20 years. But last night I was pretty pretty low key for most of the game until I don't know if you saw it on the news, buzzer beater from half court, nowhere you won. And then I had let out quite the holler. So my voice is actually doing okay considering that I strained it significantly at the end of the game last night. I uh, want to especially again give a welcome to Pastor Joseph from India. Uh, he's here because Misty and Faith Feathers saw him at uh, uh, college day when Faith was visiting uh, ORU to consider whether ORU was where she wanted to go to school and and uh, they met on campus and Misty told them that uh, we're really into missions here we do a lot with missions and so Joseph decided to come visit us while he's here for a uh, conference here in town so we're glad to have you with us here today so we all like new things can I get the there we go we all like new things and because of that, new is one of the most useful words in advertising. People like to make resolutions to change themselves in some way at the beginning of a new year. How many of you sometimes, once in a while, make New Year's resolutions? Not too many of us. We're not, some of us do, but not too many of us. But you know what? There's something innately compelling about fresh starts and new beginnings, and we think about that. I see it every year at the gym where I work out. The crowds have been noticeably bigger in the past week. Uh, the first week of the new year, but I know that that'll slow down in the next month or so because I've seen it happen again and again and again. The people that all are there for a little while and then before you know it, they've uh, tapered off and they kind of quit coming. But the failure rate for New Year's resolutions is really quite high and I noticed that at the gym too. One man said, many years ago I resolved to never bother with New Year's resolutions and I've stuck with it ever since. Another noted, I can't believe it's been a year since I didn't become a better person. How about this? May all your troubles last as long as your New Year's resolution. I think we're cutting out again, aren't we, Jerry? You feeling it here in a little bit? Okay. I'll stick with it for another couple minutes. But God doesn't have to change. You think about that? So he never makes New Year's resolutions. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Scripture tells us. Nevertheless... Even though this is true, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the truth is we serve a God of the new. How about Revelation chapter 21, verse 5? And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I trust this morning, one week into this new year, that the words that we hear today will also be trustworthy and true, but not because it's me speaking these things, but because they're founded on the Word of God and because they explain important truths about the great and mighty God that we serve. This passage proclaims an important part of God's working in time and history, this passage from Revelation, in the here and the now, in the past and the future, as well as in creation and in human hearts. The Apostle John 
in this great revelation from God that we call the book of Revelation, saw God seated on the throne near the end of this book. God said something that's important in the context of John's vision, but I really believe it's also important for us as we begin this new year. God told John, I am making all things or everything new. This year and every year can and should be a year of renewal in our lives, in our life together as a fellowship, as well as in our lives as individual believers in Christ. So specifically this morning, I want to first look at the idea that God is in the business of new. He's in the business of renewing, of making all things new. It's what he does. It's actually part of the gospel. Then I believe the Lord would have us look at three specific ways in which he would make us new this year. I believe the Lord would make us new in attitude. I believe the Lord would make us new in devotion. And I believe the Lord wants to make us new in service. Now the context of this passage in the book of Revelation is the new heavens and the new earth. That new heavenly kingdom where those of us who are followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will live for all eternity. This is John's picture given to him by the revelation of the Holy Spirit of the end of time and the beginning of eternity. John notes just a few verses before this that this is the time when the first heaven and earth pass away and God reveals a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. This will be a place where God himself will be with us. Scripture says he will light this place that we live in eternity. We won't need any other kind of light. We won't need to do also the things that we've done in this past year, 2022. We've mourned the loss of five loved ones from our church family. But this tells us that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. We read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Doesn't that sound good? Or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's definitely something for us to look forward to. So that's the context in which we hear God say, I am making everything, or I am making all things new. But I believe that even though this is describing a specific time and place, all right, he's talking about the end times, in the future, the end of time as we know it, God's statement, I am making all things new, is also a picture of his work throughout history, throughout recorded time, and throughout scripture. It says something about our great God that's not just true in the future. It's not just true in the context of the end of the age, but it is true today. In the here and now, our God is a God of new things. He's a God of renewal. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of refreshing. The passage that we just read is a picture of the end of time, but the new things that we see in this life are a foretaste of what the old hymn said, you remember, a foretaste of glory divine. The new things God does in this life are a hint of what it will be like when God says what John heard in this revelation, we're living in the foreshadow of the things that God will ultimately make new. The word of God, if you think about it, and if you study it, which I did, if you think about it, the word of God is full of this theme of newness. We see it everywhere. 
eternal life will have a unique newness of life. We'll have a new body living in the new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. But God's work of making all things new is ongoing throughout history. I also believe he's built into all of us an innate need for newness, as well as an innate understanding that new things are somehow important to us. Now, I'm not excusing those who don't persevere in something that's difficult just because they want something new and easier. That's not what we're talking about. You know, there is a place for persevering through old things in our kingdom service, as well as in our relationships with the Lord, our relationships as individuals, and our relationships with each other. In many cases like this, when things are tough and we want something new, God will give us something new, but the new things he gives us are new strength new determination, new attitudes, rather than new circumstances. Sometimes that's the case. We read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, those who hope in the Lord or those who wait on the Lord will renew, that's a form of new, right? Will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. But I believe there's a cycle of life that includes new things, refreshing and that this cycle includes our human hearts and many things associated with our lives as individuals. This concept of newness is a central theme in the New Testament as well as the Old. But in the New Testament, we read about the new birth. We read about new teaching, new wine or wineskins, new commandment. We read about a new covenant. We read about new creation. We read about a new self, a new heaven, a new earth, a new name, a new Jerusalem, and newness of life. That just kind of covers the waterfront, doesn't it? And then what we just read, all things new. Newness is also seen in his creation. Think about it. There's the daily newness of night turning into day at dawn. A daily newness of darkness to light. There's the annual turning of winter into spring. That's new. Spring to summer. Summer to fall, fall to winter. Endlessly repeating throughout time, yet always new. There's a clear cycle of renewal and newness in creation, and there's a cycle of newness and renewal in life. God is a God of renewal. He's a God of restoration, redemption, refreshing. All those things are new, or parts and kinds of new. I think we almost unconsciously recognize that renewal and refreshing and restoration are a very important part of our human experience. For years, I never understood the reveling, the celebration of New Year's. And I'm usually in bed before midnight, most years now anyway, but many of us have watched the mania that takes place in Times Square on New Year's Eve and wondered, what is the fuss all about? Just another day in the calendar, and you go out there with all these other crazy people, and it's cold and it's raining sometimes or snowing. But now, though you couldn't pay me to get into that mess, I think I understand it just a little bit more. And here's why. I think that it's a reflection of what everyone, even unbelievers, seem to know about life, whether we realize this reality or whether we can articulate it in this way or not. We have this innate sense that new things are important. Because of this, we have this emotional need to mark seasons and to mark renewal and things that are new. So at first you might think 
using this passage from Revelation, it's kind of lifting it out of context because it's talking about the end times. Yes, it is about the new heavens and new earth that God will create at the end of time for his saints to live in eternity. But God's words here, I am making everything new, define an important part among us today, important part of his work that we can see even today. We looked at some examples already, new life, new covenant, new birth, etc. But let me just cite a few of the dozens of scriptures we could look at this morning to help illustrate this idea today. For example, here's God speaking to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now, this was a real theme in the Old Testament. God's constant, ongoing renewal of his chosen people. The constant cycle of blessing followed by people straying from God, followed by rebellion, followed by judgment and correction, followed by repentance, and then God doing a new thing for his people. We see it again and again and again in the Old Testament. It's like a roller coaster, right? He didn't just change their circumstances. Sometimes he did, and sometimes he didn't, but he always changed them. That was the new thing that was consistent always change them. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we read, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A new heart, a new spirit. God does new things. Why? Because we need newness and we need it a lot. We need refreshing. We need this new heart and this new spirit that he speaks of in Ezekiel. In 2 Corinthians, of course, this familiar passage, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Most of us know that. Where, what old stuff has gone? Our old hearts, our old spirits, our old self. In Christ, now that's certainly a key phrase here because it's really critical for us to remember who did this for us, okay? But in Christ, believers in him are a new creation. So Paul tells us in Romans, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. He's talking to those who've been made a new creation, but be transformed by what? The renewing. There we see it again. The renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here we see a subset and type of newness, renewal. This renewal, this newness, this Transformation doesn't just include our hearts, but it includes our minds. Now, sometimes we tend to make a false separation between heart and mind, and that's not a good way to interpret Scripture. But in this case, it doesn't even really matter. That's because God renews us when he makes all things new, and it includes both our hearts and our minds. And that reflects the kind of people that we are. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read, Surely you heard of him, and were taught in him, in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self. Created to be like God, 
in true righteousness and holiness. <coughs> Excuse me. Here once more we see God doing a work of newness. Just as he said in the opening passage we read from Revelation, I am making all things new. Here what he's making new is our attitude of mind. And that leads me to the first thing that I believe God would say to us about the new things that he wants to do in all of us this year. God is a God who makes all things new, and this year I think what he wants to do in me, and I believe what he wants to do in many of us, is to make us new in our attitudes. In this passage from Ephesians, the word attitude is literally spirit. In this context, it means the mental disposition, that is, what we're inclined to think or to believe or to act on. Our attitudes toward the things of life and faith are a very critical component in how we respond to all of life. It starts with our attitudes, doesn't it? Including our attitudes towards each other and toward, even related to what Gordon spoke, the decaying culture in which we live. Here's an example. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, it says in Philippians chapter 2. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So in this passage, selfish ambition is an attitude. Vain conceit is an attitude. Humility is the opposite of those attitudes. It's the godly attitude. Looking out for the interests of others is the result of an attitude. Obedience is the result of an attitude. And clearly Jesus here is the model of the attitude that we should have. As it says in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. I believe in 2023, God wants to renew our attitudes in these and other areas of life. Some of the all things he wants to make new include the many attitudes that shape our lives. How about gratitude? How about gratitude? It's a key attitude in a life of faith. Paul wrote to the Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. How about grumbling and complaining? Anybody here good at that? You don't have to raise your hand. The presence or absence of grumbling reflects our attitude about many things. Paul wrote to the Philippians, do everything. You know what everything means in the original Greek? Everything. Do everything without complaining or arguing. God's been dealing with me about having an attitude of faith. Because there's not a single thing in my life that I cannot, that I can do without faith in God. Of course, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, there are many things in my life that I'm hoping for. But I often don't hope for those things in an attitude of faith. The key words here are sure and certain. One commentary noted these two qualities need a secure beginning and an ending point. The beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. That's why we need to know the word, my brothers and sisters, 
because the word illustrates, reveals, teaches us the character of God. He is who he says. The end point is believing in God's promises. He will do what he says. When we believe that God will fulfill his promises, even though we don't see those promises materializing yet, we demonstrate true faith. Of course, it's also vital that we rightly divide or rightly interpret the word of truth and determine what are truly promises and what are not. Sometimes we call things in the word promises that aren't really promises. But when our faith is in Christ and not in a circumstance and not in a person, not even in the free will of a loved one to choose rightly or wrongly, but our faith is in Christ, then we can be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, I'm not talking about a name it and claim it sort of faith, an unbalanced faith, a faith that ignores reality, but I also don't want to let the clear and egregious abuses of what's sometimes called faith in so much of the church today cause me to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because people abuse faith doesn't negate what we just read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I'm talking about a faith that's rooted and grounded in who God is, his character, the things his word clearly proclaims about him. I'm talking about relying on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm talking about placing our dependence on the one who made the universe. I'm talking about in Hebrews 11:6, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe that he exists and that he cares enough to respond or reward those who seek him. I want to approach God daily. How about you? I believe God exists and I do seek him. How about you? But then there are sometimes, you know, if we're honest, maybe often there's that nagging doubt. And I think much of the time if we're honest with ourselves and others, we're exactly where the father of the demon-possessed boy was when Jesus told him in Mark chapter 9, everything is possible for him who believes. Well, I believe this. I do. I believe this. Everything is possible for him who believes. But part of me struggles, and my faith is weak. Yet this boy's father said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This year I'm praying that prayer for myself. That's a good prayer to pray. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I want to approach all of the challenges in my life with an attitude of faith. Now that brings me... Uh, to the next thing I believe God wants to do and make new for us in 2023, faith comes through the spiritual disciplines of life. That's just the way we're made. And our devotion to the Lord is a key component in building the kind of faith attitudes I believe that God wants all of us to have. How much of your heart, you don't have to answer me, think inside yourself here, how much of your heart does God have? Those of you who've been here for a long time have heard me, and I know many of the other elders say things like this before, but if you are not in the Word of God daily, faith is not the only thing missing from your Christian life. What's more, you may be in a precarious, dangerous place. We should be devoted to Christ, and that means we should be devoted to speaking seeking him in his word because that's how he speaks to all of us. Devotions or quiet time or daily time in the word and in prayer or whatever we want to call it 
it's not all there is to the christian life but it's a critical component i know people who didn't exhibit the fruit of the spirit in their lives and they weren't exemplary christians even though they were very constant in their daily devotions but let me tell you this if you're not spending time with the lord daily you're in a dangerous place now i know andy abrocta wouldn't mind you, me telling you these things because i asked his permission to share but most of you know at least some of andy's story it's a real testimony to the faithfulness of god here's a man who drifted from the church this was, golly, we're talking 20 years ago in that time frame. And then he drifted really from the Lord. He had little of the spiritual disciplines in his life, at least in part because of that he fell into sin. Well, a lot of us fall into sin, but sins that aren't crimes. Was His sin was a crime. And that crime led to a five-year prison sentence. And the truth is that that reality will mark Andy for the rest of his life. But as Andy and I have talked about many times, God doesn't always remove the temporal, the this world consequences of our sin, but he does forgive and remove the eternal consequences. And Andy rested in that. Andy's a wonderful picture of how God redeems and restores and renews. One of the first things that changed in Andy when he, once he repented is that spending time in the Word of God and daily time in prayer and in worship became the highest priority in his life. It's probably the single most important factor in the changed man he is today. And I can tell you, because I speak with Andy regularly, God continues to work in his life, continues to change him and mold him and shape him because Andy continues to be devoted to the Lord. One mark, and again, I want to be clear, this is not the only mark, but one mark of devotion to the Lord is how we spend our time. What we invest in, what we spend our time and money and efforts on is a key indicator. You've heard of those, that phrase, the leading economic indicators. There's a few things that you look at, and that says, where is the economy going? Well, this is a key spiritual indicator. How we spend our time, what we invest in, how much time do you spend with the Lord? Is time with Jesus a key element of your day? Is it a priority? Priorities illustrate attitudes. Let me say that again. Priorities illustrate attitudes. It's an easy thing to cast aside. And I don't want to be legalistic about it, but it relates to what we spoke about a moment ago. And again, that is attitude. Well, attitude should be such that time with the Lord is a priority, not just a priority, the priority in our lives. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Pursue. You get that word there? The word pursue here implies effort, doesn't it? It implies devotion. It's an attitude. I want to have an attitude of pursuing God. I want to pursue righteousness, don't you? Don't you want to pursue righteousness? That means to follow hard after righteousness. I want to pursue faith and love and peace, don't you? Now, there are protective benefits to devotion to the Lord, but that's kind of a negative way to look at it, even though it's valid. A positive benefit of our devotion to the Lord is that he will build our faith. 
Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard how? Through the word of Christ. God wants us to be made new in our devotion to him in 2023. That will probably include everything from our regular time in his word to prayer, to fellowship, even to church attendance that sometimes some of us who will remain nameless take lightly. The early church thrived despite its challenges because of what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves. They devoted, we see, devotion. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. For us, that's the word of God. And the fellowship, that's all of us here together. That's not just coming to church Sunday, but it's our fellowship. And the breaking of bread, that's what we do every Sunday. And to the prayers. God wants that devotion at least in part for the sake of his love relationship with us. But there's more. There's more than just that. And that brings me to my final point. God wants to make us new in service to him too. One of the key things we must note about our opening passage of scripture is that God says these words, I make. I make. These are God's words, his declaration, his work. God makes. God makes all things new. You don't make. I don't make. God makes. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who makes all things new. What we need to do is cooperate. We must be who he made us to be. If we respond to his grace at work in us as he desires, we can only respond in gratitude by walking in the things, by doing the things that he desires of us. In Ephesians 2.10, we read, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think about that. The works are there. God's prepared them for us to do. We are created for those good works, and we are his workmanship. The idea is clear. We are made new. We are created in Christ Jesus, but his love for us is not the only reason he makes us new. And even though his love for us is demonstrated in the choice of words here, we're not just his work. We're his workmanship. We're not just his product. We're his workmanship. The Greek word here is poiema. That's the word for workmanship here. That's the, if it sounds familiar, that's because that's the word from which we get our English word poem. We're God's poem. What is a poem? It's a kind of work of art, isn't it? It's not just built. It's not just written. It's crafted. It's crafted with great love, with great care. That's what God does in us. We are his workmanship, created, why? In Christ Jesus, to do good works. But though he does love us, though we are his workmanship, we're made for a reason. We're made for a purpose. And he's already set in place those things that we are to do. He paved the way. He laid the groundwork. He blazed the trail. We only have to walk it. And we can do that in obedience. So I'm not going to spend as much time on this final point now because I want to develop this further and we're ready to close. Let's say maybe in a future message. Maybe in a couple weeks. Maybe not. We'll see how the Lord leads in that. But suffice it to say that in 2023, I believe God would remind us of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Remind us that we're created for service, for good works, good works that he's already prepared for us to do. 
and that he wants to make this new in us too. Let's review this, what we've looked at together this morning, because I believe God would encourage us to be made new in these things in the coming year. He's a God of renewal, and he wants us to be renewed in attitude. Now, that's whatever godly attitudes he's impressing on you this year. He also wants to make us new in devotion, that we would be wholehearted, not half-hearted, wholehearted in our approach to our relationship with him, not shallow in our devotion to him in any way. And he wants to make us new in service, that we'd be faithful to seek the works that he's already put in place, that he's already put in place for each of us to do in 2023. And then in 2024, we can say the same thing all over again. They'll be new again because God's a God of new. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality of your character. We thank you for the reality of the things that you claim about yourself. That I make, you said, I make all things new. We thank you, Father, that you've given us a new heart. That those of us who are in Christ have a new heart, a new spirit. We don't have hearts of stone anymore. We have hearts of flesh because you made our hearts new. We pray, Father, that we would be able to walk in this newness daily, even as the sun comes up every day to bring a new day. That we would be able to walk in this newness and remember your great love for us. Remember that you make all things new. That we would have an attitude, Father. We would have an attitude adjustment this year, that we have new attitudes about all the things in our life. Father, that we would have new devotion to you and that we would look for those things so that we can be new in service to you as well this year. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for speaking to us through your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.